This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining the conversation today. I'm Erin Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. We're in the middle of our fall series called Talking About Talk, and if you're just joining us for the first episode, there are lots of other episodes for you to back up and listen to, but we're so glad you're here with us. We've been talking about the importance and the role of good dialogue and how that shapes our conversations and our relationships. Well, Hannah, today we're going to dig into another topic. We're going to take a deep dive into something called Tech Talk. As we get started today, um, Hannah, I just want to talk a little bit about um, how we go about starting conversations and mainly as we look at who are the players in the conversation and do they even know what we're talking about? Have you ever had a time where you've been in a conversation, you're like, should I be in this conversation because they're talking about something and I don't even know what it is? Absolutely. And and I think that's one of the things I appreciate about our conversation so much is they're easy. Like mm-hmm. I generally know where you're going or the set of assumptions that you're working with. Um, I feel like I don't have to work too hard to have a conversation with you. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when, um, you know, I meet someone or we inhabit very different worlds, I find myself hearing them use English, but <laughs> not knowing what they're talking about. Right. It's like we are speaking English together and yet we are so missing each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what's funny is as the digital age kind of allows us to have relationships and conversations with people from very different places than we are, both geographically and sociologically, I find myself needing to use Google a lot. And (laughs) this is what I love about social media is I can have a conversation with someone, maybe talking on Twitter or on Facebook. And if something comes up in that conversation that I don't know, I can just like pretend like I was away from my computer. Oh, and, yeah. But I'm actually like opening a new window and frantically <laughs> Googling what they just said. Don't and give out I your secrets, Hannah. I flip back into the conversation. Oh, yeah. The no true Scotsman fallacy, uh, blah, 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 blah. But <laughs> it, it allows me to kind of fake knowing what they're talking about when I don't. Right. Right. That way you don't have to feel that embarrassment or the the panic of, wait a minute, you need to explain this further. You can go and look it up and then come right on back and pick right back up into that conversation where you left off. That That is the nice part, but not all conversations are online. So we need to talk about the online stuff, but there and are some- very hard to Google when you're sitting across it is. somebody at it the is. table. Because you can't- Not impossible. <laughs> Not impossible, but difficult. But difficult. But some conversations in person, you you don't have that luxury. And so we, we need to talk about that. So we've got the 
the online stuff and we've got the in-person stuff. And there are all sorts of topics that fall into both of these categories. Um, but I agree, the, the difficulty of conversation where people are using jargon or acronyms or they're just using a phrase that maybe you haven't heard before, you try to pick it up in terms of context, but not always. You can't always figure it out in the moment. And thank God for Google, because we can look some things up and and learn as we go. But it still creates some internal anxiety, and it can be a detriment to conversation. So all of these things and more are what we're going to talk about today on this episode of Persuasion. And Hannah, I look forward to digging into these ideas about how we can manage conversations where we aren't all using the same language and vocabulary. Right. And we've actually titled this episode Tech Talk. Um, and what we mean by that is there are words and there are languages and phrases and ideas that we know and are comfortable to us within our own sphere of influence or maybe our job or the life we lead. And sometimes they almost become technical, even if it's slang or something. Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of this jargon that makes sense to us within the system or the community that we live in. But it doesn't make sense necessarily to other people or it doesn't even have real world meaning outside of the community that we live in. So we're talking about those kinds of words and ideas and phrases that even though we're communicating with each other, may not actually communicate, may mm -hmm. not even carry meaning and sometimes can create a hurdle to, to kind of actual communication and sharing with each other. It's almost like the jargon gives us a shorthand, which can be helpful if you're on the inside. But if you're not on the inside, it actually can disrupt that conversation and, and make it way more difficult for someone to engage because they feel so lost. And that feeling is terrible. I mean, mm -hmm. I've had that where you come into a conversation and people are using acronyms for things or phrases. And that sense of being such an outsider is, it, it's like you're so busy trying to understand what are they even saying that you can't participate because it's such a block. And um, being aware, I think, is the first step of realizing that the terms that you use, if they're not common knowledge, it will be a barrier for people to feel like they can mm -hmm. engage with you. And that's terrible. I mean, you want to be inclusive and, and to be able to have people brought into the conversation. Um, you need to have a shared language, a shared vocabulary. Yeah. And I think there's two sides to this coin where there's the side where we need to be aware of the language we're using. Does it kind of create artificial boundaries? Does it keep some mm -hmm. people at arm's length because they don't know that language? But I think there's also the question of what we do when we encounter language we don't understand. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's easy to laugh and joke about Googling things. And I think that's a really effective way um, to get information. But one of the things I'm trying to be more comfortable with is just stopping people and mm. saying, wait a minute, I don't know that. Can you explain to me what that is? Mm -hmm. And I think we do resist revealing our ignorance or what we see as ignorance. We're afraid to say, I don't know what that language means or I don't know what that acronym is. And I've encountered this um, in the school system. My kids are in um, public school and there are 
just certain acronyms or phrases or tests that make sense within that system. And the teachers and the principals are aware of it and they kind of use that language. And as a young parent going into that, I felt at such a disadvantage because I didn't know what they were talking about. And eventually I just got over myself (laughs) and I would say, I'm sorry, what is this? I don't know this technical word for this document. You know, I don't know this designation that exists within the system that doesn't necessarily exist outside of it. And part of that was just having the humility to ask questions and Mm -hmm. not know. And then I think there's the the way that you receive those questions too when when let's say you have contributed to that fogginess in the conversation and someone is asking the question I think the way that you respond by by helping them understand um, makes such a difference because when I have used jargon that I I don't even realize that I've done it. And then someone has kindly said, oh, what does that mean? It's almost like, oh, my goodness, I did do that. I didn't realize. And so for me to have humility that I just contributed to a lack of understanding, that that's good because then it's like you didn't understand, I didn't understand, and let's talk it out and then move forward. I, I had this happen. Um, this is a silly example. But over the weekend, I was with some women I had never met before, and I was telling a story. It was a tangent story. So I was trying to be quick about it because it just related to the rest of the thing I was trying to explain. And I said, oh, I threw a cake party for my friend. And then we had this happen and this happened and this happened. Wait a minute, Erin. What's a cake party? (laughs) That was the question. And that was so not the point of my story was the cake party. But I just said it because I was trying to summarize. And what I meant by that was the only point of the party was to have people over so we could eat cake together and drink coffee in celebration of my friend's um, master's degree completion. And so I just called it a cake party because with my friends, that's what I was calling it. Hey, we're going to have a cake party. It, it wasn't, there is no official thing called cake party. I don't I think. No, there may be now. Maybe it there is. Like- Maybe I have coined a new thing. I don't know. But, but I had... I just said it flippantly because I've been saying it with my friends for the past three weeks. Oh, we're going to have a cake party for my friend Krista. And not realizing that in a different context, I just said it because it was familiar to me. And then someone said, hey, what do you mean by that? They thought it was this new way of socializing. And I was like, well, it is because all you have to do is get a cake and invite people over and you have a cake party. (laughs) This is how trends start. Yes. How a trend starts. And and there's this kind of need and feeling of wanting to be in the know. Right. So you hear this language that you don't know. You may be finding a way to figure out what it is. And then you begin to identify yourself with that use of language or that mm-hmm. slang term. Mm-hmm. And it gives you this sense of inclusion or yeah. eliteness. Yeah. And, and I think that's what's fascinating about how we use jargon and slang so often. It really is to define and identify the boundaries yes. of the community. Like who's in the know and yep. who isn't. Mm-hmm. And even this happens generationally where there's language that younger people use that older people don't understand and it becomes kind of a generational gap. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it puts you in a certain place and it groups you with a certain set of people. And, and I think that's what's underneath all of this. And even the trending language or the latest, greatest, you know, 
slang that comes online that I don't know and have to Google. <laughs> Likewise. Really does become a marker of community. Who's in and who's out? Who gets invited to the cake party? Right, right. And I think you're you're correct about the um the defining lines of who's in and who's out, especially with jargon, because I think research has said as soon as, let's say, the general adult population starts adopting a word, the young people who tend to be the ones that are coining the new phrases, they are immediately like, okay, we're done with that phrase. Or they've been done with it for a year or two years because it takes a while for the general population to pick it up and start using it. So as we think we're being real you know, current and hip, it's like, well, the young people are already moving on and saying something else. And so they will no longer use that language because they don't want to be associated with their parents. And and so I think um, in that sense, the the slang of the day is a really good picture of how we use language to define our, our status, our affiliation groups. And um, even this goes beyond, let's say, the youth versus adults. I'm just going to group all older people over, what, 22 as the adults who aren't coining new phrases usually. But it has um, also something to do with um, our other affiliation groups, whether it is religious groups or um, professional groups. We all have our own set of language. And if you know it, you feel like you are on the inside because you can use it and wield it for power. Yes. And and I think it is, it's something that we have to be sensitive to and be aware of while we also don't fall into the trap of using it for power. You know, it's this weird thing, like when you exist in a certain uh, career or you're in a certain professional set, you do have to use certain language within that space. Like there are, um, you know, bureaucratic words that make sense when you're doing the work that you do in your profession. And I think the difference is whether you're aware of transferring that outside that space where it actually makes sense. Are you um, aware that when you talk with the general public, you shouldn't be using legal terms if you're a lawyer? And if you do, does that somehow signal to everyone else, I know more than you do? You know, I understand this about the law and I'm going to use this language as a way to point that out. That is so convicting I, because ooh, is this assuming, Hannah, that we are aware that we are doing it or? Well, what I'm saying is even if we're not aware, we need to become aware. Become aware. So I mean, there it's is worse an if you are aware. I mean, if you are aware and you're doing it, then, oh, that's icky. But then to be unaware, it's like, okay, well, understand your audience, right? Mm -hmm. Know who you're but talking with. Obliviousness can be just as destructive as intentional harm. Right, right. Because it's the same outcome. Mm -hmm. People feel that they're on the outside and you aren't taking the time and taking care to draw them in. Um, one of the things that... I've been thinking about as we've been talking and, and prepping for this discussion. Um, it it seems like how are you using conversation? You mentioned don't use it to have power over someone else. Um, and if we are going to use conversation for the building of community rather than to have a power play, 
I feel like that is the difference. That's almost like the distinction if you're going to use conversation properly. It's to build community rather than to um, set yourself apart or um, or build yourself up as the, the knowledge keeper of that topic. Yeah. And I think that's exactly right. And I think what I, what unsettles me and worries me is when I see Christians doing this in religious ways, um, mm. where we use religious language um, to become the gatekeepers of knowledge, mm-hmm. of religion, or even the knowledge of God. And I had this experience once where a reader um, had contacted me about um, a book I'd written, Made for More, which I think she was trying to help. I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt, but she was very concerned that I had not used the word sin enough Mm. in the book. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, you know, corresponded with her briefly and I said, well, um, do you think the idea of sin was present? Oh yes. Yes, it was. And I said, okay. Um, I preferred to define sin in the language of falling short of the glory of God because the concept of the book was about reflecting God's glory. So sin is then defined as falling short of God's glory. Um, I also defined it as the brokenness we inhabit in this world and the brokenness that we ourselves live in. Mm-hmm. Now, what was fascinating to me is she needed the word sin. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she felt like the book was not hard on sin because it didn't use this language of sin. And so she, she's like, I can't use this um, in evangelization or discipleship with people because it doesn't use the language of sin. Mm. And I understood where she was coming from, but I also felt like it was a really good example of how our need to use certain language um, can create unnecessary barriers, mm-hmm. but it also is a way to establish our priority and we become the gatekeepers yeah. of knowledge. Um, and so if you are going to come into the church, you are going to have to adapt to the language that we use. Um, and you're going to have to use the categories that we use rather than finding that common communication to express what sin is, mm-hmm. not just to use the language of sin. And that's something that I hadn't thought of, Hannah, that um, it's not just the jargon that we use, it's the jargon we require others to use. I, I hadn't thought about that before, that we need people to use certain words so that we feel good about that conversation and and how limiting that is. Um, and how, in in some ways, it um, shuts down conversation because if you aren't using all the right words, it's like a bingo card. Um, you you didn't use sin, and therefore I can't I can't work with this conversation because it's not filling up my checklist of what words I need to have included in this conversation. Um, so. I had a similar experience with um, 
I, I work for a neat organization, one of my clients, Spread Truth, and we have been working on some messaging and some new programming. And I've coined this phrase with them. I, I have no idea if it's my own or if I heard it somewhere. I'm not going to claim it that I came up with it. But I'm using this phrase, we're getting people gospel ready. We are getting people ready to share the gospel in lots of different ways in a conversational way wherever they are. And so we had a review of the content of our website and someone said, oh, you're using this phrase and we don't know what that means. It could be really um, exclusive. It's it's exclusive and it may make people feel like they aren't included because they don't know what this means, which I totally get. And yet I feel like we're defining it pretty well within the content of the website. Um, and so I want to keep this phrase because I think it's kind of um, visionary and I feel like it's encas- encapsulating what Spread Truth is all about. While I know that this is now a new insider term that is owned by this organization and people won't know what it means, but the hope is that the curiosity of the phrase will cause people to dig a little deeper and to understand it as they read this little description of what I mean by getting people gospel ready. So I think in that way, we can't say that all um, insider terms are bad. It's just more a matter of is your heart to make people understand it or help people understand it? Or is it to draw those lines? Yeah, because there is a, a situation where the use of surprising language mm-hmm. actually um, gets people's minds engaged. Mm-hmm. And when you pick a word that is different or unusual or not one that's expected, it forces the listener to kind of uh, lean in and figure mm-hmm. it out to a degree. And mm-hmm. I think that the question then becomes, are you using the language as a way to pull people in for greater communication? Or are you using the language because you're comfortable with the language and it suits your purposes? Yes. And I think that's where we go back to what is the goal of conversation? And the goal of conversation is community and union and that fundamental sharing of ourselves with each other uh, for these greater purposes. And so much of how we use terminology or language comes back to that question. Why am I using this word? Who is it serving? Is it serving me? Is it serving my group? Or is it serving people that could potentially be brought into conversation with us? I I like that. Um, that use of conversation to bring people in, to draw people in. Um, Because, I mean, that's, to me, that's like how you be a good neighbor. I mean, that's how you are um, letting people know you are valuable and we want to hear who you are and how you contribute to this space rather than we have our space and it's defined. And maybe if you know the lingo well enough, you can come in. <laughs> Almost like there are these barriers to entry and and maybe we'll let you in if you're on the cool kid list. But if you're not, then too bad. You're you're on the out. And I think this attention to the purpose of communication and the purpose of conversation also helps us navigate some of those stickier questions um, about politically correct language. So Mm -hmm. one of the current concerns about our 
dialogue, our public dialogue, is that there are certain words and phrases that you need to use or you need to avoid that signal uh, your awareness of oppression and your awareness of our social dysfunction. And so there feels like at times there's this policing, like this would be the complaint, there's this policing of language happening, Uh Um, almost in reverse. You um, have to use certain terms. You have to use certain slang or jargon to um, to be in society and to be seen as a reasonable, um, you know, well-intentioned person. Mm-hmm. And there's a backlash to that because it can feel constraining. It can feel like, well, you're forcing certain words out of my mouth. And there are even people who, you know, have gone so far as to have lawsuits to be able to use the the language or the choice that they want to use. And so there is this communal aspect to what we identify as the correct terminology. I think, though, when faced with those kinds of questions, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, for what purpose am I making um, using these terms or making the choices I'm making to to push back against political correct language just for the sake of pushing back mm. against it mm-hmm. is selfish. I mean, there yeah. there is little else to be said for that. I think you can make a case where um, co-opting people's words or language can infringe um, on healthy communication. But at the end of the day, we all have to be committed to this greater good to the goal of communicating well. And there are some times um, where what has been deemed politically correct language actually is better language. It is Mm -hmm. more helpful language Mm -hmm. to describe a situation. And I have um, recently come into more awareness of this, especially around the language we use for abuse. And um, a person I work with um, had brought to my attention that uh, the language we use um, to describe situations of abuse actually can reinforce a lot of negative and unhelpful assumptions about the nature of abuse. And one thing she pointed out is that um, we kind of center our language on the abuser and prioritize them in the situation rather than um, elevating and honoring the person the way she put it, who has been subjected to abuse. Mm. Instead of saying the person who has been abused. Or the victim. Is that another? uh Yeah. Okay. Interesting. She says, you need to make abuse an an action word. You have to understand that it is a choice and an intention and it is a a willful, aggressive um, action rather than a passive thing that happens. Like abuse Mm. happened. It has to be mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. person abused. It has to yes. be active voice. And one way she said to describe someone who is abused, you don't have an active person doing it. You focus on the victim saying that victim became abused. But sure. who did it? Who did it? No one did it. It just happened. And so when you put that emphasis, you make it more of an active voice, you actually change the entire narrative around it. And I'm just bringing this up as an example because I would have never have thought how language does reinforce certain 
assumptions. Mm-hmm. And when mm-hmm. she initially brought it up, I thought, well, well, what's the difference? Does it really matter whether I change my language? Is this just a marker of wokeness? Is this just a marker mm-hmm. of politically correctness? Um, is this just to signal to other people that I'm in the know and now I'm the cool person because I'm using the right language? But as I learned more, it really did have um, greater good involved. It really did further um, an understanding and a, and a better conversation and better communication around, about the nature of abuse. And that posture of humility and learning is so important because these are things that I was not aware of until you have brought them up. And the way you were explaining it, it makes complete sense to me. But there is a sense of... Um, humility, or I guess it's not a sense of it. It, it, Humility is required to process that information and then to begin to change how you talk about certain things that you aren't the expert in, or you don't know of firsthand. It requires humility to say, oh, someone else knows more than me, and I'm going to take in this knowledge and then yield to it. I'm not going to gain a sense of power because I think I know what I'm talking about. Um, I, I've been aware of things that I've seen, especially online. I know online can be just a complete horror show, but but there have been conversations where people say, oh, well, that's just being politically correct. And they're just very frustrated that that we would yield language because we're just giving up to whatever is politically correct. And I think that that um, quick assessment to how language needs to change is... Um, in some ways, that's a loss um, because we need to be people who are always learning and being sensitive to people who know something more than we do um, to, to be willing to embrace a new set of terms is, again, showing that we care about the other, about people who are affected by the words that we are using. And, and that's why it's so important for us to have these good conversations because we don't know everything. Yeah. And that's the thing about language. It is fluid. It does develop generationally. Um, You know, older generations use certain terminology that I don't use and younger generations use slang that I don't understand and have to Google. (laughs) And I think what we must understand as we enter into conversations across these divides is that no one's language is set. No one's language is completely accurate and deserves to be the language that everyone else has to adapt to. And so when we use our slang or our jargon or even our Christianese or um, even certain terminology that has been deemed more politically correct, in all of those cases, we're, we're operating with an eye towards service toward how can I engage the person on the other side of the divide? How can I lower the hurdles of communication? How can we move into understanding and union and clarity with each other, um, knowing that we come with different sets of terminology, Mm -hmm. um, but how can we adapt to make sure that we're crossing those language barriers? 
I love that. That That is such a great summary, Hannah. I'm going to say that that is the closing argument for this episode. And so I want to know, do we have a question of the day for this topic? We do. Oh, good. What? So here's the question of the day. What was your favorite or most memorable slang term that you had to Google because you didn't know what it meant? <laughs> I love that. I I cannot wait to hear the responses from our listeners. And you can come out and share those responses with us on Twitter at PersuasionCAPC. We're also on Instagram now and Facebook. And we have um, our site at persuasionpodcast.buzz, B-U-Z-Z. And... As a special bonus, we want to make all of you aware that Hannah and I, we will be recording a live episode of Persuasion. I know this will be quite the event. It's going to be uh, held November 9th. So Friday, November 9th, we'll be in Greenville, South Carolina at Leaf Institute. This live recording will be the uh, culmination of this talking about talk series. So we hope all of you will join us. We will post all the information for getting tickets to that event at Leaf Institute in Greenville. If you are in that area, we would sure appreciate it if you pass the word. And maybe you just want to travel to Greenville to meet up with us. And we would love that too. So we'll post all that ticketing information. And we would love, love, love to see you there. We want to say thanks to Jonathan Clausen. He has produced all of our episodes um, at Persuasion and in the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. You can catch us online at Christ and Pop Culture. You can go to iTunes. We would sure love your ratings and reviews at iTunes because that helps us pop up in the search algorithm so more people can find us. We do thank all of you for listening to Persuasion, and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at ChristandPopCulture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys, you know? A pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just These Guys, you know?